Hello, and welcome back to FAIRS Come Follow Me, Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. I am Jennifer Roach. Today we are doing part two of three parts of priesthood. Last week was part one. Part three is not next week, but will be in two weeks. Um, there's so much to say about all of this. It just took me three episodes to do it. Um, sometimes, at least people that I know, Latter-day Saints, um, seem a bit unsure of their Bible knowledge overall. And it's true that there are some in and outs of the Bible, the New Testament, that evangelicals will tend to know better than Latter-day Saints do. That's just sort of the facts. But the book of Hebrews is not one of those. The book of Hebrews is, is the least read book in the New Testament among evangelicals. They love the Gospels. They love the letters that are easily attributed to Paul. Hebrews is in debate. It kind of goes back and forth over the ages of, of if Paul wrote it or somebody else wrote it. It's not their favorite. Um, it's the one that they turn to the absolute least. And my sense is a lot of Latter-day Saints know a good bit about Hebrews in part because of how the issue of priesthood comes up there, especially the mention of Melchizedek and what all of that means. So, Latter-day Saint friends, you may have spent more significant time in Hebrews than your evangelical counterparts, which is not always the case, which is why I wanted to point it out to you. Evangelicals do love um, chapters 11 and 12 of Hebrews. They, they like that a lot. They like the part about um, Jesus is our great high priest and he has suffered like we have suffered. Those are the parts they like. The rest of it, they just don't know what to do with it. And, and we'll get to all of that. Um, the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, which is where we are today and where we find this part about priesthood, it just feels really different. If it's Paul, he's writing in a voice that he doesn't write in anywhere else. And a lot of the things that are said in there, you have to kind of like dig and figure out what in the world is he even talking about? So I get it. I, I understand why they don't love Hebrews. Today, our jumping off point is Hebrews 7.17. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what do evangelicals do with this verse? Um, but my first answer is mostly nothing. I was the religiously devout, the most religiously devout kid you could know, the most religiously devout teenager you could go. I don't ever remember hearing a message preached on this part of the Bible. I don't ever remember Melchizedek being mentioned. I don't ever remember this being addressed in any way whatsoever. And sure, maybe I wasn't paying attention a time or two, um, but it doesn't come up, it doesn't come up much. Um, and if we're talking about percentages, how many evangelicals engage with this concept? The answer is just, not a very high percentage. They're just as likely to say to you, who's Melchizedek, um, than they are to want to debate the ins and outs of that. There's a saying in theology, I think I told you this phrase before, it says, the Bible doesn't lay flat. What that means is some passages are valued more than others. And here in Hebrews, we see the evangelical version of a passage that just isn't valued as much. Um, Latter-day Saints do this too. It, 
every group does this. You sort of end up with a, a canon inside of the canon. These are our go-to verses. These are the ones that we love and really, really know a lot about. And the rest of the verses are there and we don't quite know as much what to do with them. So it happens for us. That's what's happening for evangelicals here. Um, so the most likely question an evangelical would ask you is like, who's Melchizedek? I've never heard of him. Um, and because the Bible does not provide us a ton of historic background or other details about Melchizedek, the answer to that in a purely factual way is it's pretty short. Um, it sort of tricks them into thinking there isn't much here to look at. And they move on to other parts of Hebrews that are just more compelling and have more content that they can do something with. Also, they don't really have a conceptualization of priest. So the whole priest conversation, it just doesn't go anywhere with them in Hebrews. They they like Jesus as great high priest. They understand that. Who, who wouldn't? I love that part. Um, but it doesn't seem to get to apply to, to general priesthood topics. So um, among evangelicals who are like theologically educated, you might get a conversation where they say Melchizedek was actually Jesus in disguise. Disguise. He was like a proto-Christ. He was a vision of Jesus showing up as something different in the Old Testament so that they wouldn't know it was Jesus. That was a really, really popular um, idea all throughout the 20th century for Protestants and evangelicals. Less so now that has kind of run its course, but you might hear that from someone. But the question I think that comes up for most of them here is it's something like, why are you making all this priesthood stuff more complicated than it needs to be? And it's a fair question. If you've been listening to this series at all, you know that would be pretty on brand for them. The evangelical project has been all about simplifying the gospel, taking away the parts that make it hard for people to understand or participate. Um, their church services are casual. Priests are now pastors. Pastors require very little training for the most part. Not true in every place. Um, difficult to sing hymns are replaced with fun pop worship choruses. Um, there is a way to take their question, the, the question of why are you making all this stuff more complicated than it needs to be? There's a way of taking that question with intended respect. They actually don't have any understanding of, of why we are complicating the this matter. And it, it, it would be a curiosity to them. I think it was a curiosity to me when I was an evangelical of like, what are they, what are they doing? Um, in many ways, evangelicals are doing what the early Campbellite church was doing, like in Joseph Smith's day, right? They were, they took the gospel, they wanted to pare down absolutely everything that was not completely essential. And that's what the Campbellites called the restoration. Um, and a whole group of saints, the Snows, and lots of people, once they heard Kind of the Latter-day Saint version of what restoration meant, not paring things down and getting rid of things, but adding everything back in. Like that's so compelling. They all they all leave that version of restoration and, and come join our church. 
Um, and you can hear echoes of that dynamic in the evangelical question, why are you making this so complicated? What they really want to know here is why aren't you just paring it down to the absolute bare minimum essentials and forget everything else? To be honest, it's a fair question. On the outside looking in, it can seem like a lot when you're an evangelical and used to this sort of paring down, we want to make it easier for you philosophy. Um, Joseph Smith was not interested in a restoration. They got rid of anything. He wanted to add everything um, and, and always be expanding. So Latter-day Saints have been raised on this idea of um, why wouldn't you want everything restored? So it makes sense to us. It doesn't make sense to them. Philosophically, they're coming from somewhere different out of good motives. What all of this really comes down to, why are you making this more complicated than it needs to be, is a question of authority. What is needed in order to do God's work? The go-to verse for evangelicals in this is the verse in 1 Peter, the priesthood of all believers. They interpret this to mean that no special authority is required to baptize, to lead, to perform any ordinance. They see the Bible as giving anyone who believes in Christ the proper authority. There is a little asterisk there. The asterisk says women are frequently discluded from, from anyone. Um, and there are sometimes other categories of people that are discluded. Um, but for the most part, anybody who is a believer can do lots and lots of things. A woman could baptize if she wanted to. She's not ordained. She's not anything in their church. Just by being a believer in Christ, they would say she has the ability to do this and it's valid. Um, while our in our church, we would see authority slightly differently. It's the power of the priesthood of God, and we are invited to participate in that power in, in a variety of ways. And those ways are not the same for everyone, and they might change over the course of your life. We see priesthood as belonging to God. It is his power. And we humans are invited to participate. They see priesthood, or I should say they fear that priesthood actually belongs to humans who just want to get in the way and make it harder to understand God, put more rules in, put distance between the individual and God. And sometimes they're not wrong, right? There really are actually evil priests who seek to destroy and oppress. Um, evangelicals wouldn't call them priests, but they're very familiar with leaders who um, end up being evil, right? Like their, their fear is not unwarranted. I absolutely had that fear as an evangelical coming into this church saying, this is a church with a prophet. Like I've talked about this in a couple other episodes. I had some feelings about that and, and, how do I know this isn't an evil leader? So, I mean, I gotta say, I sympathize with their opinion on this in some ways. No one wants evil priests. And it is very easy for someone who thinks that they're acting in the power of God to confuse that with their own desire for power. You have seen it, I've seen it, everybody's seen it. It goes bad in about a hundred different ways. But there's another saying in theology, and that's, Misuse 
should not mean no use. Okay, so people have abused priesthood, people have abused leadership, people have abused ordination. Just because that's true doesn't mean that there is no good in the practice at all. And that's what the book of Hebrews is trying to get at here. Yes, there are bad priests, but Jesus is the only priest who never messes anything up. He never misuses his power. He's always using it on behalf of the people that he is serving and, and godly priests should be like him. That, that's the whole point of this section of Hebrews. But you can see what evangelicals are, are really worried about here. Who gives us the authority to make all these rules? The accusation is you're just making stuff up to make it seem more complicated than it is. And in a weird way, they see that as evil priesthood. They would look at our priesthood and say, you're making it way too complicated. You're adding way too many rules. Why are you standing in between people and God? Get out of the way. Abolish this priesthood. Just let the person interface with God alone. You're blocking their access. We would say, well, if you read the book of Hebrews a little bit more closely, the idea here is... Um, Good priesthood is what Jesus does. Therefore, good priesthood should try to emulate Jesus, right? Doesn't mean just because priesthood can be bad that it always is. They see, evangelicals see things like baptism being required as an extra rule. Some of them don't. It's go. That's the direction it's going more and more. It's been going that way for two decades. It, it will continue to go that way. Yes, Jesus got baptized, but it isn't required. It's a nice thing to do if you want to. And frankly, they see all of the ordinances that way. Priesthood is just another example of that. It, this is not required. The, the interesting part to me here is this is actually right here where we find some common ground with them. In the evangelical way of thinking, Authority or leadership is bestowed on someone because they themselves feel a direct call from God to do whatever it is, this thing that God is calling them to do. And it could be anything from becoming a pastor to a, a kind act for another person. You, the individual, are in charge of feeling that, discerning what it means, and following it. No one chooses or calls you. You do it yourself. And depending upon the corner of the evangelical world that you're standing in, anybody can be claiming to be called to do just about anything. There are other areas that have a little bit more structure than that. But in the simplest terms possible, the main difference that they would be able, the evangelicals would be able to identify between the, the, the priesthood as leadership in our church and the leadership in their church um, would just be that we have a process for it. We have we have rules around it and they don't. For them, it's an experience of that person's um, emotions and then aligning their will to those emotions. But here's where we have this in common with them. So like a young deacon, a young boy in our church he might not have thought very deeply about whether he should be ordained or not. I hope that he does. I hope the adults around him are talking with him about that. 
but there are some boys for whom that process of becoming a deacon might happen kind of automatically and they didn't actually give all that much thought to it. That's a possibility, right? Maybe you, maybe you were a kid like that. Maybe you know kids like that. Um, they get ordained simply because they're at the age to do so. But the further up into priesthood they go, the less true that seems to be. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Yes, a young boy could be coerced by his parents to become a deacon, maybe to become a teacher, maybe to become a priest. But at some point, that boy is an adult and he has to choose with his own will. Do I feel do I feel connected to this? Is this what I want to be doing? Um, they, there's no coercion of adult men, right? A man's desire to serve in this way, in his own understanding of his calling, it, it's something evangelicals might, they might be able to see this part of it. Like, yes, there are requirements. Yes, there's a process. Yes, there are rules. But the man himself must continually grow in his desire to take on those responsibilities because there are responsibilities. And if he doesn't want them, um, he sloughs them off or walks away from them or, or, or doesn't do them in some way. Um, evangelicals might never love the structure that we have. Though to be honest, for somebody like me, the structure in our church was a breath of fresh air and I, and I really liked it. I don't think I'm the only evangelical, former evangelical who would say that, but for the most part, they, they're not going to love our structure and our, our rules. Um, they might be surprised that a man taking on priesthood responsibilities is actually doing that out of his own sense of desire to do so. I mean, have you met the men in our church? My impression is that they certainly can submit themselves to their spiritual leaders when necessary, but they are doing that as a choice. It's not divorced from his own desire to serve, his own desire to follow the commandments. He is choosing to do that. He's not being coerced into that. Um, and evangelicals might actually recognize that part where it explained to them. And that's something we have in common. That's how they want to see their leaders as well. People who have been called and people who are living out this desire to serve. We have that too. Okay. Next week, we're in the book of James. James is fantastic. When I was in seventh grade, I memorized the entire book of James. It's only five chapters. I still can quote long sections of the book of James from memory. I will not do that for you. You're, you're welcome. Um, but it's one of my favorite books. Two weeks from now, Priesthood of All Believers. It will be great. I'm really, really looking forward to that episode. And I'll see you then.